We are going to be in Acts chapter 3 this morning. So if you've got a Bible, go to Acts 3. I ran across this week a viral video that you may have seen, you may not have seen. I'm not going to show the video this morning, but I want to describe the scenario behind this video. Uh, It was taken on a man's birthday, and his wife was filming this little video, probably with her iPhone, as she gave him his birthday present. And uh, what she presented with him at the beginning of the video was uh, one of these boxes. Uh, It says Apple Watch, right? And so uh, he picks it up. He picks up the little little box that she had, and she says, here's a gift that I've been wanting to give you for some time. And so he says, "Uh, wow, is this one of those watches? And she doesn't say anything. And uh, he opens it up, and when he opened the box, there was not a watch inside. Instead, this is what he saw. Uh, I don't know how well you can see that from back there, but that's a positive pregnancy test inside the Apple Watch box. Uh, This is an actual still shot from the video. The man is overcome with emotion. He expected to get a watch, and he finds out he's getting a person, right? A whole other family member. And so he is just overcome with emotion. Here's, Here's a picture of him just in tears as he realizes, and he kept going, are you serious? Are you serious? Is this real? And I think uh, the impact of the video emotionally was twofold. One, uh, there's something about seeing a man with tattoos wearing a shirt that says, I'm tough enough, burst into tears like a small child, right? But secondly, he expected something so much smaller than a child, right? He expected a watch, And as great as an Apple Watch may be, it doesn't really compare with the uh, gift of having a baby. Now, there are times, I'm sure, as they move forward through the years, that the frustration and the difficulty of raising that child might make him go back and think, I should have settled for the watch, right? Uh, In fact, there were a couple of people commenting on this video that said, maybe he's crying because he didn't get the watch, right? And, and we laugh at that because the reality is that although a child is so much harder to take care of, we all know that in the long run, it's a much more significant task than curating your Apple Watch. There are times for all of us in our lives when expectations meet reality and they don't match up. There are times that uh, we begin our day or our week or our year and we have goals and ideals and resolutions for our life. And the reality is that those don't always meet. And so sometimes, in fact, often things happen that we don't expect. If you are a college student here this morning, the reality of your life may be that the career that you expect to enter after college is likely to look nothing like what actually happens. Many of us, myself included, began with one objective in mind and started or ended in a whole different reality. It may be that you got married with certain hopes and dreams for the kind of person that your spouse would be. And after a few days, weeks, months of marriage, you found that uh, expectations and reality began to clash, right? And you began to think something is wrong with that person. And you wrestle with adjusting your expectations. It may be that in your career, you're wrestling right now with adjusting your expectations. It may be with your health. It may be with your own children that you have dreams and plans for their lives and they come and they say, you know what? Your dreams for my life are not mine. Your values for my life are not mine. And you wrestle 
with adjusting your expectations. This morning, as we look at Acts chapter 3, we're going to look at the life of a man whose day and whose life turned out much different from what he expected. Uh, In his case, the reality was much greater than what he expected. He began his day setting his sights on one thing, and he ended his day with a whole different set of realities. And yet there was an initial sense, I'm sure, of disappointment that his expectations didn't become reality. But what God had in store for his life was so much greater than what he expected because the power of God met his reality such that neither he nor those around him could deny that God is active and that Jesus is alive. And so we'll see this story of a man who allowed God to reshape his future and transform his expectations to set his sights much higher than he originally did. And as we look at this man's life, the question I want each of us to keep in our minds is this. Will you and I submit our plans for our lives to the power of God? and the plan of God. As we wake up tomorrow, as we leave this room this afternoon, as we go back to work, as we go back to engage with our neighbors or our kids or our classmates, and we find that what we expect doesn't seem to happen, will we submit our plans to God's plans and recognize that his plans are always superior to ours? Always superior. And notice I didn't say they're always more comfortable. And they're not always easier. And they often involve even the path of suffering. Because God is most concerned that our lives bear an eternal fruit for his glory. Even if that means he takes our expectations and turns them upside down. So we're going to see in Acts chapter 3. And we'll see how God is alive through Jesus Christ and at work. All right, Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer. And a man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. When he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, look at us. All right, I want to set the stage. Acts 3, 1 through 3. We have a man here who lives constantly with low expectations. Let me just set the scene a little bit. This is outside the temple in Jerusalem. Again, remember in the flow of the book of Acts, the apostles had gone to Jerusalem at Jesus' command to wait the Holy Spirit's coming. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit came into the church and began to work these signs and wonders. And now, just probably a few days after the day of Pentecost, here are Peter and John, two of the most prominent apostles of Jesus, and they are climbing the steps to the temple. Now, in that day, the uh, Jewish believers would still practice the set times of prayer at the temple. And there were two. There was one in the morning. There was one in the afternoon. 
This is around 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It's the ninth hour, the second hour of prayer, right before they're about to kind of close up shop for the day. Now, as they go up the steps, they pass this man, and Luke tells us this guy has been lame from birth. It says lame from his mother's womb. So this is not a man who has recently broken his leg. This is not some sort of psychosomatic condition. This guy has been lame from his mother's womb. We find out in Acts chapter 4, in fact, that he is more than 40 years old. And every day for 40 years, somebody picks this man up, probably a family member, and they deposit him at the temple right before the hour of prayer because that's the busiest time when people are coming and going and he begs. In their day and age, in an agricultural society, if you were lame, that's what you could contribute. He cannot work in the farm that his family probably owns. He cannot enter the temple, in fact, because those who were disfigured in any way could not enter the temple to worship. So day after day after day, year upon year, this man sits at the temple gate and he holds out his hand. As people go in and come out, and he sees men and women going in to worship in the presence of God, and he sits outside. And so he has narrowed the horizon of his expectations to one thing. I just need a few coins to make it to tomorrow. And what strikes me as I read this passage is here is a man who is sitting in spitting distance of the presence of God. And the most he hopes for is just give me a few coins. See, the temple was a place where God's presence resided in a special way. And in fact, at the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies, it said that it shone with the glory of God. And he's sitting near the presence of the glory of God, but he feels none of that light or heat. And all he wants is a few coins. See, I think often you and I, similar to this man. Lower our expectations for what God can do in our lives. I think if God spoke audibly to this man, he would look at him and say, raise your eyes just a bit and see what I can do. Every so often we allow my kids to choose what restaurant we eat at for dinner, maybe on their birthday or a special occasion of some kind. And I don't know, if you, if you let your kids do this from time to time, I don't know what kind of restaurant they choose. I will tell you, my kids never choose an inexpensive one. Right? They always choose like a steak place or something along those lines, something that's going to cost a little bit of money. But we, we graciously agree because it is their, cho- their chance to choose the restaurant and we go in. But what always gets me is we go in to these restaurants where they're making steaks and they're making fish and all of these things. And you know what my kids eat? Grilled cheese sandwich. Right? <laughs> and, and you always want to you know, say something to them, right? But you bite your tongue. You always want to say, look, we are in a place where there is food greater than what you're having right there, right? But they have no sense that they should even expect something better, right? So we buy the grilled cheese sandwich for $8.99 or whatever it is (laughs) that we can make for 30 cents at home. And you always want to say, right, lift your expectations a shade. And I think often God looks at us and he says, you're expectations for what I can do in your life are too small. See, it's not that God wants to look at us and say, you know, what I want to do is just just 
fill your bank account with money. But instead, sometimes that's where we set our sights, isn't it? We say, you know what? What I really want is just financial security or just for my kids to say please and thank you or just to get above a 75 on the next test or just, or just, or just. All of these goals that are good, but they are not enough. Because what God wants for our lives is for you and me to have an eternal impact. And what that often involves is the transformation of our character, even when reality doesn't match our expectations. What God wants for our lives is that other men and women see the reality of who he is and the glory of Jesus Christ, sometimes even when we're in the midst of suffering. But we set our expectations on earthly things, don't we? Just like this man, I just need a little more money. I just need to do a little bit better at the office. I just need to finish this major and get into this graduate program. I just need my kids to do what I tell them. None of those things are evil. In fact, all of those things could be goals God calls our lives toward, but they are not sufficient in themselves. And I think often God wants to raise the horizon of our expectations, and that's what he's going to do with this man to say, you want silver and gold, but the power of God is going to bring something a whole lot better. Look at verses 4 and following. Chapter 3, starting in verse 4. But Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze on him and said, look at us. And he began to give them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. All right, so Peter and John stop. Now, keep in mind, they have probably passed this man before. Uh, Jesus probably passed this man during his earthly ministry. Of course, Jesus didn't heal every person who needed healing. That would have been, uh, that would have taken thousands of years. So Jesus probably passed this man. They've probably passed this man. But for whatever reason, on this day, the Spirit of God moves them to stop. And I would imagine that day after day, there were people who walked by and gave this man money and just kind of, like we often do, just kind of flicked it down to him and kept walking. I would imagine it was rare for somebody to pause and look him in the eye. Peter and John stop, and it says they fixed their gaze on him because they recognized that what this man needed at this moment was not more money. He needed a new life. He needed a new life. He needed to be noticed. He needed to know that God saw him. And so in reflection of the character of their Savior, Peter and John stop and they look him right in the eye. And actually, the the text seems to have this idea that they stared at him for just a couple of minutes because it says he began looking back at them in expectation. I don't know if you've ever been stared at. It's an uncomfortable feeling, isn't it? I have a niece that when she was about a year to 18 months, used to just stare at people in restaurants. Right? She'd turn around, and if you were at the table next to her, she'd just look at you. Right? And it was interesting to watch people's responses because first people would kind of smile and wave, and she did not smile back. She just would keep the stare. You know? And uh, my brother and his wife would end up having to kind of apologize. I really am sorry you know, for her icy gaze of death that she gives to everybody who comes in. 
Uh, We are uncomfortable, particularly in a digital culture often, with being seen. And Peter avoids the trap of assuming that all this man needs is more money. He avoids the trap of just seeing a beggar, but he looks at him and he sees a man made in the image of God who needs to know the power of God and that what God can do is so much greater than his expectations. And so Peter looks at him and it says that the man looked back expecting to get something. And Peter begins and he says, silver and gold I do not possess. If you were this guy, my guess is that you'd be tempted just to kind of shut out everything that came after that, wouldn't you? Why are you even talking to me? Six people just walked by while you sat here and stared at me like a creep. Silver and gold I do not possess, but what I have I'll give to you. And he says, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise and walk. And look at verse 7. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened. With a leap, he stood upright and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. I don't know how long it took you to walk. Probably a while. It probably took you a year. Maybe, maybe some of you are prodigies and you were walking at nine or ten months. Probably took you a year. Probably took you 18 months. Uh, you are slow at walking. Because this man, under the influence of the power of God, he stands up. Now, keep in mind, he's never used these legs. Those of you who have even broken a a, a bone or a leg, you know that when you get that cast off, what happens? It takes you weeks before that limb regains its strength. You have to do all kinds of exercises to re-strengthen it. None of that happens with this man. He stands up. Immediately, it says, his legs and his ankles are strengthened, and he begins to walk. And you know what he does first thing? He runs where? Into the temple where the presence of God resides. And he begins to praise the God who healed him. And he's leaping and he's dancing because God has given him more than silver and gold. He has given him a brand new life. And this is evidence that the Messiah has come. And it becomes, and we'll see as Peter talks about it, it becomes proof that Jesus has risen from the dead. It was predicted in the Old Testament that when the Messiah came, the lame would stand up and walk. Look at Isaiah chapter 35. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy for waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the Arabah. This man begins to jump up. Jesus had also healed a lame man in the book of John. And he begins to dance, and he begins to leap, and he begins to praise God. And this is a God-sized response to this man's need. He needed more than he thought. His expectations were set too low. Now, some of you in here are saying, my expectations in life have been changed, but not in a good way, right? I don't feel like uh, my body has been healed where I'm leaping. I, I don't feel like my finances have suddenly come into order. I don't feel that those around me are doing the things that they should. In other words, this man's expectations seem to have been changed for the better. My expectations are changed for the worse. And you may be tempted to say, there's no miracle going on in my life. Are you sure? Are you sure? that the miracle God is doing in your heart, in my heart, isn't visible, 
but involves a transformation of your character in a supernatural way to reflect that of Jesus Christ? Are you sure that the miracle God is doing doesn't involve the reality that others around you see how you adjust and you are transformed when you submit to God's plan for your life. And those men and women say there's something in that person's life, there's something in that person's heart that draws me to want to know how that's happening in their life. This man was willing to settle just for a little bit of money. God wanted to give him a whole new life, a new perspective, the ability to worship him and to draw others to know him. There's a famous story of Pope Innocent III from the 12th century of the church. And during the 12th, 13th, 14th century, uh, right before the Reformation, uh, even most Catholic scholars these days will agree that there was a dark period in the church. There was greed, there was fighting for power, and there's this famous story of Pope Innocent III, and it's said that St. Francis of Assisi came to visit him while the Pope was counting the church's treasury and laying out the gold coins and the silver coins, and he says, look, Francis, no longer can the church say, silver and gold have I none. And it is said that Francis responded, very true, but no longer can the church say either, rise and walk. And the idea is this, when we trade the power of God for earthly expectations, it's a losing bargain every time. What is it that God is doing in your heart, in mine, in your life, in mine, when your expectations are turned upside down to draw you to trust him in deeper ways? You may not know. You may not be able to discern it. The question is, will you and I submit to what God is doing, to the miracles that he wants to do in our hearts, in our lives, in those of our friends and family as we submit to his plan? And watch what happens. As this man stands up and begins to leap, there's now this widespread amazement that occurs. Look at verses 9 through 11. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. You need to remember that thousands of people saw this guy every single day. Uh, Not for a year, not for a couple of years, but for decades they saw this guy. Because every day, for decades, he's been there. And again, they just walk by. And then they walk back. And then they walk by. And likely, they, like us, had gotten to a place where they did not expect God to surprise them with his power and with his intervention. You and I get to that place quite often. A number of years ago, probably, I don't know, five or six years ago, I was driving to the office, uh, and I was rolling down Rio Grande Street, kind of right over by where we used to live, and I had driven this route, oh my gosh, hundreds of times, you know, over and over and over again. And so, you know, I'm kind of driving in your mind sort of subconsciously is picking up where you are, right? There's this street over here. There's a stop sign over here. There's those apartments. There's a goat, right? And uh, I'm not making this up. As I drove down this road for probably the 500th time, it suddenly registered me. I kind of looked over there and then I looked back and then I looked back again and there was a goat on the side of Rio Grande, right in the middle of town. Not just a goat. He's just walking around He had a blue beard. Somebody had dyed his beard blue. And as I drove by, like, he just looks up at me like, hey, I'm a goat, right? And then I just sort of 
kept rolling. And I thought, what in the world did I just see? So I circled around and tried to go back. And sure enough, there he was. And I circled back again and I, I pulled over and I got my phone and I called animal control. And uh, I'll be honest, I thought that they were going to send somebody out for me, right? I'm trying to explain. I'm driving down the road and let me tell you what I just saw. And I begin to describe it. And the lady on the other end of the line says, hold on just a second. She goes, let me consult some notes. She goes, was it a shaggy goat with a long blue beard and blah, blah. And begins to, I go, that's exactly the one. She said, okay, somebody else just call. I was like, thank goodness that was real, right? That that was not something that I just saw. Okay. Hundreds of times I'd driven the same route. And I didn't expect that to happen. And it became sort of a metaphor. I was working with our college ministry at the time. It became sort of a metaphor for our staff and for our student leaders. Say, make sure you're always on the lookout for a goat. Right, what did I mean? At any moment, God can surprise you. At any moment, he can adjust your expectations. And trust me, even when it feels painful, even when it feels difficult, even when you have to let go of some dreams, his plans are always superior from an eternal perspective to mine. Always. And I know that there are those of us in this room right now that you're really wrestling with trusting the goodness of God. You, you have dreams that maybe in the last week, last month, last year, you've seen fall apart for yourself, for your career, for your family. It may be that you're wrestling with this change in expectations, not because things are falling apart, but because you sense the voice of the Spirit moving you in a new direction and you're just afraid because God is surprising you. One of my favorite biographies is of a man named Adoniram Judson. Some of you will have heard of him. Some of you will have not. Uh, Judson was born in the late 18th century, late 1700s. He lived through about the middle of the 1800s. He was born in New England to a father who was a relatively prominent minister of the day. Of course, this was in a day and age when uh, being a minister was actually considered a relatively prestigious career for young men who were aspiring to make a mark on the world. But Adoniram Judson was brilliant. He was always at the top of his class. He graduated from college from what is now Brown University at the age of 19 at the top of his class, began to go to seminary, and his dad had all of these visions and all of his dreams. Maybe he will, for his life, maybe he will be a great politician, a great physician, maybe a great minister. And in fact, Judson at one point was offered the pastorate of the largest church in Boston of the day. And yet here's what happened when he went to seminary at Andover. He began to sense the Spirit of God transforming his heart. And he began to sense that God was calling him overseas as a missionary. Now, keep in mind, back in that day, there was no such thing as Americans who left this country to go overseas as a missionary. Literally, there were none. But he sensed that God was calling him to be among the first. And so he told his father he crushed his father's dreams for his life gathered a small missionary society together with just a few people, and they sailed overseas with four young men determined to share the gospel in Burma, what is now Myanmar. Went to Myanmar. It's, it's a, a long and drawn-out story, but he suffered a great deal. He, he had spouses die. He had children die. And yet over the period of the rest of his life, 
I'll tell you what happened. They translated the Bible into Burmese, translation that's still used to this day. There are 30,000 believers by the time he left in Burma. There's a huge Baptist denomination in Myanmar to this day. Many of the churches named after Adoniram Judson, and something else happened. Others were inspired to go as a result of his example. Now, remember, this was in the day before the internet. They couldn't text him and say, hey, there's a bunch of people following your lead. He didn't know this until he came back to the States late in life that he was sort of a celebrity because of his decision to follow God's prompting on his heart in a way he didn't expect. uh, There is an American missionary movement to this day. Most of you have never heard his name. But God used one man and a few friends to transform the course of history. And you say, well, that's probably not me, right? That's probably not my story that I'm going to change the course of history. You know what? That's all right. Because God hasn't asked all of us to transform the course of history. He has asked us to respond to his spirit however he leads, to have an impact for his kingdom in the lives of those around us, to always be on the lookout for a goat, right? That God may shift the direction of our lives. And these men and women begin to praise God because they see that he's in their midst and the power of his spirit is there and they're amazed. So Peter stands up and he issues an exhortation to submit to God's plan. Look at verse 12. I'm going to read down through verse 16. Actually, I'll start in verse 11. While he was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. But when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety we had made him walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, but put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead, a fact to which we are witnesses. And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know, and the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. Now go down to verse 19. Therefore, repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send Jesus the Christ appointed for you. Here's what Peter says. He says, you guys have shown up believing that this was going to be a normal day, just like every other day. And what you've seen is this. It wasn't me that healed him, Peter says. It's the power of God among you. And what is the response? Just as this man exercised faith in the one who made the universe and who gave his son to die and rise again, just as that man exercised faith, you are called to exercise faith in Jesus and submit to his plan. And for many of these men and women, even there in Solomon's portico, that would mean a radical shift in their life's direction, because as people came to trust Christ, especially in that day and age, they faced opposition, they faced persecution, they faced alienation from their families and their friends and maybe even their workplaces, but they also saw the power of God draw people in supernatural ways to know him. So what is God doing in your life today where he's calling you to say, Lord, I'll submit to your plan?
I'll share one final story before we wrap up. Uh, about a week or two ago, Chris Thompson, our campus pastor here, sent me this picture. Um, and he said, do you remember this night? Uh, now, you can see there's Chris on the upper right. You can tell he had a cool haircut. And there is his wife, Erica, right in the center holding a quart of oil and then a few other friends. And he said, do you remember this night? And I said, yeah, I absolutely remember that night. And here's why. What you need to know is that's my car, okay? Uh, we were, as friends, on the way back, I was, I don't know, early 20s, somewhere in that range, on the way back from a wedding in the Panhandle. Uh, Shannon and I were in the car together, driving back to Dallas. This was about two weeks before I was supposed to start seminary. Neither of us had uh, steady employment right at that moment or a paycheck coming in. And so I had put together just enough money to carry us through about the first three to four weeks, assuming there were no major unexpected events. Uh, About halfway back home, my car started making the worst noise I've ever heard a car make. Uh, We pulled over. We tried putting oil. We really did try putting oil in the engine, thinking maybe it's just low on oil, whatever it was. Uh, That was not the problem. The reason I'm not in this picture is uh, either I'm taking the picture, but actually I don't think I am. I believe when this picture was taken, and I'm not making this up, I was on the side of the road crying because I realized that my plan and all of that little bit of money I had set aside was going to go to fix this. And I didn't know, literally, I did not know how we were going to eat for the next three or four weeks. And I remember sitting there at that moment thinking, this is one of those moments where expectations hit reality in a very painful way, right? And so Chris asked me, do you remember that? I said, oh yeah, do I remember that? Absolutely. But I told him, let me tell you what happened as a result of that moment that was deeply painful. Is that the Lord began to deepen my trust in his goodness and in his control. I, I, I actually remember sitting there and talking to Shannon, and I said, uh, I don't know what's going on. I said, I, I feel like God is trying to squish us right now. I remember saying those words. And I remember her saying back to me, I think he's trying to strengthen us. Right. Uh, a couple weeks after this, I also had some health problems and uh, racked up some health expenses that we also could not afford. And uh, I had already borrowed some money from a family member to pay for this car and was beginning to pay it back. I mean, we were in way over our heads. A couple weeks after that, we were having breakfast with a friend of ours from church. And I I had asked for prayer just generally that we'd kind of get rolling financially, that the Lord would take care of us. I didn't want to burden people with these issues, but we're, we're having breakfast with a friend from our church. And this man, at the end of breakfast, he hands me a little envelope and he says, hey, some people in the church had been praying for you and they felt moved by the spirit that you could use this. And he hands me an envelope and I go, thanks, I appreciate that. I get in the car, we open the envelope and in the envelope there was cash to cover within $15 of all that we needed. I look at that and I say, you know, that doesn't always happen, by the way. But in that moment, I began to understand that what God was doing was to train me. You know what? I own it all. To open up my hands with my money, with my resources, and to say, if he has a plan for my life, he'll provide. He has got it under control. And again, that's not to say that he will always provide in that way 
financially. But what I found is that it deepened this settled trust that whatever he's doing, I can trust him. It also deepened my appreciation for the body of Christ to know that prayer is powerful and that God's people together are the most powerful resource on the planet because the Spirit is moving. And so in a time when my expectations shifted in a deeply painful way, God provided. And it changed me. It would have changed me, by the way, even if he had not provided financially. Right, because I know that there are some in here that you're saying, you know what, I'm in a similar type of situation and no one's handed me envelopes of cash. Right? And so the question is this, right, not where is the cash going to come from, but what is God doing in your heart, in your life, to train you to trust him? Right? Here's the question as we close. Will you submit your plans to God's control? even when it seems you're being asked to take a U-turn or a sharp left turn in opposition to what you expected, just as we see in Acts chapter 3. The reality looked very different from what that man expected. But God used that man who had been crippled, by the way, for 40 years, right? And it's a joyful thing that he's healed. But I bet he had days where he thought, what about the first 40 years? But God used that man's life to draw men and women to him and to proclaim the message that God's plan is always, always, always better from ours, better than ours in an eternal perspective. Not always more comfortable, not always easier, always better. Will you and I submit our plans to God's control to see how the power of God will become operative in our lives and the lives of those around us? Will you pray with me? Father, we're grateful for your word. We are grateful for the reality that you are in control, that you own everything, including us, and that we can trust you. Because you see the long perspective, you see the eternal perspective that we don't see. We are so focused on right now. We are so focused on how we feel today and on our own goals and dreams that it's hard for us to open our hands and let you change our plans. Father, I pray we would submit to whatever you want to do in our lives. I pray that we would submit to whatever you want to do in our church and in our families and in our jobs and in our classes. Transform us into the image of Jesus Christ by the power of your spirit so men and women will see that he died for us, that he rose again, and that he's alive and calling people to himself. Father, we thank you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.